Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The FT. Welcome back to Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. This week, we'll discuss the arrival of a new investment banking boss at UBS. Andrea Ossel is a great deal maker, but he still has to win his, his tribes in, in terms of management. We'll also look at the latest predictions for the shrinkage of investment banking generally. The market is underestimating both the pace and the scale of shrinkage in the investment banking sector. And finally, the latest tribulations for Royal Bank of Scotland and its Coots private banking arm. Coots is the uh, private bank to the Queen. Um, and actually, that's particularly relevant now because these are failings over how they dealt with politically exposed people. Joining me in the studio today are the FT's retail banking correspondent, Charlene Goff, and investment banking correspondent, Daniel Schaefer. First, uh, Daniel, to UBS, uh, where I guess for for once UBS, uh, which has had a string of bad news for the past few years, um, had a bit of good news to report. They've um, hired a a big name from the investment banking world to be new co-head of investment banking at uh, at the Swiss bank. Yeah. Um, One can say this has been really a surprise move. Um, We have expected that Sergio Motti, the CEO, would, would do some more management restructuring at the investment bank. But what people have thought would be that he would replace Carson Kangeta, the head of the investment bank. Uh, yeah, who was there when the kind of rogue trading scandal yeah. happened and when, you know, other problems in the crisis world. Indeed, yeah. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't all his fault or anything, no, but, but, but people blamed it on him. Yeah. yeah. Instead, what he did was uh, he brought in uh, Andrea Ossel um, uh, as co-head of the investment bank to to sit alongside Carson Gengeta. And Andrea is, um, I guess one could say, one of the best known and most successful deal makers in, in Europe. Um, yeah. And so he's been at uh, Merrill Lynch or Bank of America Merrill Lynch for like 20 for years. For 20 years or so, yeah. So career so long. Kind he's of considered as a real rainmaker and he's yeah. brought in, I mean, the deals he's done have brought in uh, hundreds of millions of fees for, for yeah, Merrill Lynch. Every, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're very, yeah. uh, he's a very well-known name. But he's not really a manager. I mean, at uh, Merrill, he, um, as far as I know, he doesn't run a team or anything. He's kind of just that goes out and does deals and um uh is very well kind of thought of but um he doesn't doesn't have that management kind of expertise yeah. necessarily to kind of co-head a massive investment bank it might also be the reason why they've uh, what they've done is a co-head structure and yeah. not just replace Carson Gangetto with Andrea Ossel mm. is Andrea Ossel is a great deal maker but mm. he still has to win his his stripes in in terms of management and he has to yeah. prove that he can he is able to to lead such a great organization. Yeah, because at Merrill he did he's been through phases where I think he's kind of had management responsibilities but it's always been um kind of he's always returned to uh, more advisory roles. Um perhaps I mean various stories that I've heard but you know sometimes it's been a, his own kind of instigation almost that he's 
got fed up with the bureaucracy of the management side. And one thing is pretty certain, I suspect, that UBS is going to be a fairly tough management job, um, given the political pressure that UBS is under and back home in Switzerland and all of the restructuring that's going on in the investment bank. Mm. The question is also, will he, by bringing in somebody like Andrea, who wants to really use the bank's balance sheet to underwrite deals and to go for some riskier businesses as well, is it, there's a question whether this is going to trigger a political backlash in Switzerland as well, where there's a lot of skepticism about the investment bank, and yeah. uh, which is the whole reason why Sergio Motti is, is scaling back the riskier parts of the On investment the trading side, and yeah. the trading side in particular. Yeah. So I guess maybe he feels that he's earned some political capital capital that he can uh, go and uh, redirect the, the investment bank and, and maybe take on a bit, bit of risk where necessary. UBS, of course, is uh, saying that they've never really you know, retreated from this side of the business and kind of M&A advisory and, and kind of equities capital markets deals. They've done lots of, uh, lots of transactions over the past few years. But one thing's for certain, they're going to be, well, I would have thought they're going to be doing uh, quite a few more as a result of uh, Mr. Ochell's arrival. And um, as we reported this morning, you know, he's, he's going to be bringing some big clients with him. Um, mm. Seems almost certain that he's going to be bringing Santander and Unicredit, his two kind of key clients from uh, Italy and Spain mm. with him. So uh, I think it's, you know, as we said at the beginning, uh, probably a rare piece of good news for UBS. Um, let's move on to the second story. It was kind of uh, not unrelated topic of, of investment banks generally. As we said, UBS is probably an extreme example of, a, of an investment bank that's, that's shrinking, but it's hard to find one that isn't shrinking really globally. And um, there's kind of new predictions out from uh, in this in a survey published today from uh, from Morgan Stanley and Oliver Wyman, a joint kind of annual review of the industry. Um, what are what are the kind of main findings? The main finding year? really is that the market is underestimating both the pace and the scale of shrinkage in the investment banking sector, and. Um, um, it's, the numbers show that um, uh, or predict that in, in the next 12 to 24 months, uh, there will be another one trillion of, of balance sheets cut off uh, by the investment banks. It's another 7% of the whole balance sheet. Uh, now this number. is kind of compliance with new regulations, yeah. Basel III kind of preparations and yeah. US kind of Dodd-Frank stuff. Indeed. The, the, the main reason that's, that's triggering this is the regulator, which is pushing for much faster changes than we've seen in the past. And the other reason that's triggering this, particularly in Europe, is the Eurozone debt crisis, which since last summer has basically shown to banks that it's no longer sufficient to just cut at the margins. They have to really go either invest in business lines or if they don't see the necessary scale and they don't have the necessary scale in these business lines, then they have to completely exit them. And banks have taken much bolder steps mm. uh, since last summer in particular to actually exit some businesses. Now, d does this matter at all to... Um to anybody really that the mm -hmm. banks are going to shrink uh, enormously I'm sure a lot of uh, a lot of listeners would be thinking well maybe it's a good thing there was an overblown sector uh, over leveraged and it's about time it it shrank back to a, a kind of shadow of what it mm. used to be why does it kind of why does it matter? Two things, really. The first thing is it's going to definitely bring back the the fear that um, there there will be less lending available, say, to corporates, which which is a big business line for investment banks. So that's going to be one fear. And the big question there is whether 
if some of the investment banks are no longer using their balance sheet to, say, lend for corporates or exiting such businesses, whether actually the so-called disintermediation will happen, meaning that markets are going to provide for, say, with bond financing and other instruments for the leverage that banks are withholding. withholding. Yeah. yeah. And is that going to explain the whole one trillion total? Or is, are other things at play as well that are going to be more missed, if you like, more <laughs> problematic for the kind of broader economy to adjust to? One thing I guess that that's going to be interesting to see is whether actually the banks are going to come back to their old turn on equity and profit targets or, or say, yeah, the which old are, historic returns. Which have. are much lower already in terms yeah. of targets than they ever were in a pre-crisis. Yeah, they are. I mean, they've, in, on average, they have fallen to 8% uh, last year, which compares to... The actual to, performance. Wow. Yeah, the actual performance yeah. return on equity. Um which compares to historic uh, return on equities that were way above 10%, um, yeah. more like 13 or 14%. Yeah. And actually, one interesting thing about the report is that Mong Stanley and Oliver Wyman are saying uh, they think that actually the shrinkage that's happening in the investment banking sector is a good thing for the sector as a whole. And it's going to help them to get back to return on equity targets, uh, which which is rather surprising because everybody's thinking revenues in the sector will be down for quite a long time and profits will be depressed for many years to come. But they are saying actually by moving out of those businesses where they don't have scale or which aren't profitable for the individual bank, they are able to concentrate on those businesses that for them are profitable and are right. good for them. And I guess less competition in those other less, areas yeah. means that the yeah. prices will go up. And they are also predicting more revenues in the investment banks. Actually, the trend will be reversed, the trend that we've seen in the past few years that revenues mm. have been shrinking dramatically. And they are, they are saying uh, with an economic recovery, on the way in in some regions globally, they, they think that revenues can come back and can grow again in the next few years. Okay, a rare positive we, note in, in the US. Indeed, which is not what everybody else is saying. No, well, let's see yeah. who comes, whose predictions come true on that. Charlene, we've been ignoring you in the corner there. Very sorry. Um, you're at the heart of this third story, though. Yet more bad news for Royal Bank of Scotland, the state-owned British bank. This time, it's private banking arm Coots, uh, probably best known for being bankers to the Queen and so on. Um, but they're in trouble. Well, exactly. Not financial trouble no. <laughs> necessarily, but uh, regulatory trouble. They've been dealt a big fine this morning, uh, Monday morning, so kicking off the week on a fairly uh, bad note for them. Uh, the fine is $8.75 million and it uh, relates to weaknesses in their anti-money laundering procedures. Uh, and you mentioned right there, and you know everyone, the first association you have is that Coots is the uh, private bank to the Queen. Um, and actually, that's particularly relevant now because these are failings over how they dealt with politically exposed people. So overseas politicians, members of the royal family, uh, the FSA has uh, been very critical this morning saying that their procedures, their checks for these uh, high-risk customers were woefully inadequate um, and they were inadequate for many years I think between 2007 and 2010 uh, so the you know so what exactly seller. did they did they miss or I mean who was put at risk because of these failings well they said there wasn't any actual money laundering that happened as a result of this they had haven't uncovered anything but it was just the potential for there to be basically essentially saying they didn't know uh, they didn't have enough certainty where the money was coming from to right. know that it wasn't you know it wasn't um 
dodgy right. <laughs> money, yeah. essentially. So it was looking at, you know, they, they call them high-risk clients, um, politically exposed persons. Actually, a lot of it coincided with the uh, Arab Spring. So it was potentially sort of overseas politicians involved in some of these regimes where, you know, you, the FSA wanted a lot more clarity over the money was coming from and that they didn't think Coots were checking that sufficiently. Now, have they put that right? Well, they say that they have been working uh, ever since the FSA came in and investigated them. Now, this was part of an industry-wide probe. It wasn't just Coots. And there are a number of other banks that we think could be hit with similar enforcement action from the FSA. We don't know whether there are going to be any more fines, but we know that there are other banks still under scrutiny. Hmm. I guess they will all say that since these probes happened that they've... Um put their practices right and, and they say they Coots have been that, right? working to for yeah. sure I mean for Coots this is so important because this is what it stakes its reputation on you know it's yeah. like a, you know, this bank that's has had quite a prestigious reputation you know was very well trusted and you know, since the financial crisis it's been just subject to yeah, setback after setback had other really. brushes with the regulators yeah they? they were yeah. fined in November just four months ago they were fined over six million pounds for the way that they sold investment bonds uh, and right. that created a lot of negative publicity because it triggered this whole media campaign led by Sir Keith Mills, uh, the founder of Air Miles, who had a lot of money tied up in these bonds. Uh, Also, what's bad about this uh, fine this morning is that Royal Bank of Scotland, which owns Coots, was already dealt a fine for something fairly similar back in 2010. So this was, uh, again, it was anti-money laundering, but it was related to the money potentially being linked to terrorist organisations. But again, it was critical of the checks. That was part of the similar review that the FSA was doing. But given that RBS was hit previously, you might have hoped that Coots would have sorted out its own practices uh, a bit faster. Now, as we said, you know, these these uh, this fine related to its processes up to the end of 2010. So it has had last year to sort things out and says it has made improvements. Um, but the bank is still sort of struggling to regain its footing, really, after the financial crisis. And this will be another um, setback. Unwelcome, yeah. I'm sure. Absolutely. Well, and as you say, other banks have been investigated, so we may get more news over the coming weeks about um, actions or even fines against them. We shall watch out for that. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for this week. I need to thank Charlene and Daniel for their contributions and to thank you for listening. Uh, remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Martin Staber. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.